welcome to the Crashball Rugby Podcast, the podcast that focuses on the England rugby team and the Aviva Premiership. Let's get stuck in. Hello folks and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Ali, your host, and this week I'm joined by Rob Reese. Now, unfortunately, this week we had a few issues with the audio, so we're not quite to the crisp levels that we usually hear. Um, not that usual levels are particularly crisp, uh, we're still working on that. Um, but yeah, just forgive us this week for the audio issues, and if you can bear with us, it would be hugely appreciated. But Rob has some great views, and yeah, uh, no further debate, let's get stuck into the chat I had with Rob reviewing the weekend's action rugby writers online that I tend to interact with. So, um, hello, Rob, do you want to say hello to the... Yeah, cheers for the technique, guys. I'm glad to be on the Crash Ball podcast at last. Yeah, good good, good to have you on, mate. As, as I said, you are you are one, one of the more well-informed writers on, around, so it's it's a, it's, it's a must to have you on, I've got to say, and it's nice to have um, a non-English voice in every now and then, get a little, little bit of a variety going on. Uh, cheers for the compliments, anyway, I'll take them. <laughs> yeah, well, you take, you take what you can. Um so what we're going to do today, folks, is as usual, we're going to go over the um, Premiership results from the weekend. We're going to chat about some of the news, and we're going to preview the next round of Premiership results. We'll also briefly go over the Champions Cup rugby, um, but as we don't have any English teams in that this year for the sem- for the uh, semi-finals, we'll uh, we'll briefly skirt over that, and Rob can give us a bit of an insight into Scarlets, perhaps, or the other teams, as I'm sure he's got plenty of knowledge around those. So um, uh, let's quickly go into the uh, some of the some of the news pieces from the week. So, the biggest one. So, John Kingston leaving Harlequins. He's a he's going to stay on to the end of the season, but that's it. Then he's gone. Um, despite signing a, a contract extension in January, what what did you make to that, Rob? I can't say it's exactly the biggest surprise. I mean, languishing down in ninth in the table at the moment, Saints catching him up as well. They just they just not looking that good. I don't know whether they're losing the. You know, whether he's lost the dressing room or what, but they're going to have to change something. They've got too many good players there not to perform, and I think more often than not, they'll fall back on the director of rugby. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it, it does feel to me like it, it, this is this is a problem caused by those men up top, considering the, 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 the John Kingston appointment after Conor O'Shea left just felt very uninspired felt very we didn't really have much of a plan going on and now it seems as nice as a guy Kingston is as has been widely reported and I think it's been reflected in the way social media and Harlequins and even neutral fans have, have reacted to it he just isn't the man he doesn't seem to have that killer instinct it, you know it kind of reminds me of Stuart Lancaster issue with England lovely bloke can do some brilliant things but doesn't quite have that that killer instinct to, to take a club you know from the top to lead them um it is a shame. It's 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 hard to see where he's going to go after this as well because a lot of the talk, as I've, you know, as I've alluded to, is that he maybe isn't the man to be a, a number one, and there aren't many clubs that are really looking for a number two at the moment. So I really hope he can find a good strong job because he's got some serious pedigree when you look at some of the things he's done with Harlequins. He's been there for seventeen years and he brought through some amazing players, seen them go through some brilliant times, but. Yeah, I'm just hoping he gets a job befitting his experience because it doesn't. I don't think he always gets um, the credit he deserves for the behind-the-scenes stuff he's done in the past. Um, who, uh, as, for, as for Harlequin's new uh, DOR or just head coach, if they go with that, who do you think are the front runners 
Uh, first of all, most likely to be appointed, and second of all, who do you think would be the best for them from you know globally, whoever? The interesting one, I think, is whether it's true or not, the rumours broken up this evening. Scott Robertson, Crusaders coach, mm, that's, that's could be a quite interesting move. I think. I mean, Aaron Morgan has been named, but he's not had a great recent run, so it's an awkward one, but Robertson would probably be the most likely. I mean, let's be fair, the English club's got the money to lure him up from the south, but it'd be interesting to see whether they go for that more attacking flair of a coach rather than a, perhaps someone like a John Kingston who's more of a set and do the simple things right and the result will follow. Mm, yeah, it'd be a little less conservative than a than a Jim Malander, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it would be. I mean, Malander would be a, a good shout. There's a lot Very of good, good shout, yeah. Like I said, he's people like, you know, not not obviously Lancaster, but people like Lancaster who, who don't always thrive at another club, but a solid coach, got a lot behind them and bring a lot of players through. I mean, Malander's got a good track record. He knows the Premiership well, which is something that I know a lot of clubs look at when looking for a new coach. So he could be probably the front runner at this point. I'd say I'd say Malin is definitely front runner as far as English or even British coaches are are, are concerned. Um, although it, it just it makes a lot of sense, Scott Robinson, doesn't it? Considering the All Blacks link they've uh, they've brought in recently. Yeah, it does, and I don't know whether it's more of a timely rumour that's been brought around. Except like I, I haven't had a chance to look into it and see if there's any more depth to it, but it definitely makes sense looking at it from the outside, from the immediate off. It yeah, it it really does from 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 a Harlequin's perspective. It's kind of like of the people genuinely who could be available, he does seem like the best option. I think with Harlequin's at the moment, I was watch, I was watching um. I was watching on TV, and obviously you you were there yourself in the in in the press press box, weren't you? Yeah. Hmm. So I'll, I'll I'll say how I how I saw things via you know via TV, and then you can maybe give a bit of context context of stuff you might have spotted um actually being at the game. So it looked to me like Quinns did plenty to create chances to put themselves into position to win that game, but they kept making errors. They kept throwing the ball away. I think the one of the best ways to sum up the performance. Was the way Joe Marchant played. So he had he had he had a great game, and he, he he made quite a few breaks and really showed some skill. But in that last moment, he threw the ball away. One he pulled quite a wide pass behind uh, behind Walker, the winger. Another one he went to offload and he just threw it straight straight past um, Alofa Alofa into touch. And it felt like that he was creating moments. He was you know there was a potential to to score from that, but he was throw you know momentum ended possession turned over now it felt like that kind of incident was just repetitively happening and Danny Kerr got more frustrated and he stopped making poor decisions executing things poorly and it seemed to have a knock on and the end of this rant basically means I think it's all mental they've, they've got the players it, 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 it's it's not often you see a team go through this rough patch and you say don't change the team you don't need to do anything to it you've got plenty of academy players coming through you've got plenty of seasoned internationals you've got plenty of sort of Squad fillers is a bit disingenuous, but you know the sort of squad filler players, they just need to sort their head out. And I feel like Scott Robinson, with those sort of New Zealand values and the way they come they come across things, I feel like he is the better option than Jim Mallander. As much as I would like to see, you know, make sure we, we retain a, a, a good number of English coaches in in the Premiership. But that's basically what, how how I see things um, on pitch and off the pitch. Now, how did you see their, their game from the uh, from the stands? 
yeah, it was it was very loose ended. I think. I mean, throughout the game, whether they were attacking or defending, I mean, there was a lot of ill discipline. I mean, it was well into double figures. I think on the handling errors and the penalty count on both sides, actually. But I mean, Quinns just looked like they were trying to rush it a bit. I mean, Kings Kingston said in the post match. I mean, Kay was looking good in spells, but it was just the odd decision that was going out of it. And you just get the feeling that the pressure that Kingston's and is translating over to the locker room. And, I mean, they're all under it and just trying a bit too hard and forcing things. Like you said, just the, the odd pass, perhaps when he should not be, t- not be checking it around and be taking it in, you know, have this, when you're coming for support, rather than try and check it out. Um, you just get that sort of feeling that they need someone at the helm right now that can steady the ship. Like you said, New Zealand values, I think we're all well aware of the well, well they are and perhaps they'll just settle the boat bring bring back some stability and like I said they, they got the players there I mean the internationals in the pack and, and the back line is remarkable when you consider their line right at the foot of the table yeah definitely I mean, we'll just do a quick list so you've got starters they had Joe Marler they had Carl Sinclair James Horwill Chris Robshaw um, Danny Kerr Marcus Smith isn't quite an international yet but you know let's be honest he is actually one of the best tens in the premiership you then got Jamie yeah. Roberts uh, Mike Brown at the back as you say they've, they've got enough proven players and they've got those stars those rising stars like um, like March and it just doesn't it doesn't seem to, to transfer onto the pitch so yeah I mean I, th- I think we both sort of cover that one in a well, well enough but I, d- I don't feel like there's going to be much tinkering needed to, to get Quinns to a strong side again I feel like the right coach the right mentality Scott Robinson, perhaps you know, in the dream, in in you know, for the dream signing, would lead them. But you know, it's interesting. It, 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 he he would only have had two two seasons at uh, you know at the top level uh, in a certain country. He was with Canterbury for a while, which yeah, in fairness, is probably higher than most levels. But he would have only had two seasons in Super Rugby, and that that's why I had initially ruled it out, ruled it out, because it seemed like such a short time to be the head of a. Of a, of a almost a tier tier one club side to suddenly move, uh, it, it it didn't add up to me. But with all these reports coming across, I'm optimistic for Quinns because I think it would be the best thing for them. But um, anyway, that, that's enough on on Harlequins. On Gloucester themselves, uh, Gloucester themselves, um, they even they weren't hugely hugely convincing. I thought um, they suffered a little bit from a similar a similar fate of Harlequins in the way that they, they created quite a lot, but they kept scuffing it up. Um, obviously, no, nowhere, nowhere near as much as Harlequins, but felt like they weren't really able to uh, to, to prove they had they had a clinical edge like they had did like, sorry like they did in the beginning of the season when they were when they were top four in the first uh, first ten rounds. Yeah, I mean. They, they said that, I think Ackerman came in and said the, the penalty count and handling count was up on 30. I mean, to think aside, he's put 37 points on the scoreboard and made 30 errors. It's quite remarkable. But I, I don't know. It's, I think whether they were trying to redeem themselves from a poor exit game and obviously, you know, first home game in front of the King's home crowd since the Newcastle game. I know Billy Burns stressed how much he wanted to get back out there try and prove himself again after that one so perhaps there was too much force in it I mean it's not huge pressure on them they, they still obviously have the Challenge Cup as a way of getting the Champions Cup so the top six is you know is, is a, 
easy enough from a shout for him to get. I mean, he's still got Bath and Saracens, no easy fixtures, but perhaps top four is a bit further away and perhaps that's why it's taking the pressure off him. But yeah, they wasn't too good in the handling department. I mean, I felt they, they eventually got there in the end. I think the substitutes made more of a difference was ultimately the fact that yeah, it didn't quite link up as I think they'd hoped of perhaps coming and trying too hard in the week after exit the loss, I think. Mm, yeah, that, that, that would add, would add up with some of the, some of the issues that were going on for them. Um, as for as for whether the pressure is off from the top four, it's you know it's so it, it it's tough because they're only on they're on fifty six points in the table, and fourth place is on fifty nine points. So anywhere all the way up to Sale Sharks in seventh seem to be in with a chance of finishing the top four if if everything goes their way. But um, yeah, I'm 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 not sure I can see anyone else apart from. Wasps and Tigers claiming third and fourth by by the end of the season. Really, um, Gloucester. I think they'd be they'd be worth it. They'd, they'd, they'd be worth their spot, considering some of the other teams um, below uh, Wasps and Tigers have been so in and out this season. And it, it would it would be a little bit cruel if Newcastle don't make it into the top four, perhaps considering how consistent they've been. But it feels like they've dropped a little bit in the last in the last couple of months. Um, but yeah, so uh, moving on to the, ne- the the next game, we kind of flitted very smoothly from news to to results without actually moving on properly. So we'll uh, we'll go back to chronological uh, chronological order from the weekend. So on the fr- on Friday night we had a Newcastle Falcons versus Sale Sharks. Did, I don't suppose you managed to watch that one, did you? No, I couldn't manage to watch it. I was trying to keep up with the scoreline, and I got to admit, <laughs> I think it was obviously the worst possible outcome in terms of points of glass there going from that one but, but yeah both sides are looking good I mean if you're looking in terms of top four spots obviously Newcastle are now holding the fourth place berth but Sale not looking bad at the moment if you can score a lot of points I think that's the key at this stage of the season mm, yeah it's all about the bonus points at the moment isn't it got to make sure you get those four tries yes obviously I mean Newcastle and Sale grabbing a couple of points each made a massive difference to both of them in the terms of the running. Will Newcastle have an eye now on on that European tie? Will that slow them and possibly Gloucester back down? Would perhaps perhaps that will be the key figure in letting Leicester back in? But you've got to say, I think out of all the sides, I think the general rugby public in in a whole want Newcastle to get into that top four. Because, I mean, they're not one of the established top sides of the last decade or so. And they really come on this year and made a lot of key signings. I think that's really shown through. Yeah, it has. And I think it's a huge credit to Dean, to Dean Richards. Uh, blah, blah, get my words out. Dean Richards himself. I think, I'm alluding to the your fan favourites comment, it does have a bit of a feel of the extra Chiefs around them. They're playing some really attractive, really open, open rugby with some brilliant individuals in there that aren't the biggest stars. I mean, you think about Juan Pablo Sacchino, Snotty Snotty, before they were really brought to fame at, at Falcons. No one heard of them. And it was kind of a similar situation with Exeter in the way that you haven't really heard of the names. Now, it, it's in, it's one end of the scale to the other and how he got the players. Obviously, Dean Richards has assigned a lot of these players in from, from overseas, whereas Rob Baxter has developed the youth. But it's um, as you say, they're definitely becoming fan favourites. And you know, if you're a neutral and you haven't got a dog in the race, a horse in the race, 
towards the end of the season, I reckon Falcons or Exeter are probably the uh, the ones that are going to get get the most support. Yeah, you can definitely see them getting the most support out of out of the sides, and if they can just if they can keep up the point scoring at the moment, I think the points in attack have been good. It's just the points in defence have been a bit inconsistent over the last couple of months, and I think that's what's ultimately slowing down. But I think they got enough just to squeeze in there as long as they can keep one eye on the Premiership and keep the other eye firm on champ Challenge Cup. Yeah, and um, they've, they've got they've got every chance to, and I think they we I think they definitely are going to be in the Champions Cup. I think it's it's highly unlikely they're not going to be. The um, as for actually qualifying for the top four, of the Premiership. In fairness, I mean I said I couldn't see anyone apart from Wasps or Tigers getting the top four, but actually in in fairness to Falcons, I think they showed on the on Friday against Sale they could come up against some of these bigger packs, the more traditional packs, and they can stand toe to toe. Falcons forwards are brilliant. They get their set pieces great. Um, the you know scrum line out the the malls. I mean they haven't got a particularly well renowned powerful mall, but it's good. It's effective. Now, what I really liked on Friday is they couldn't really match up size wise with sales pack, so they went about using a lot of uh, a lot of their mobility. And Gary Graham in particular, coming back after uh, a good couple of couple months out with a neck injury uh, sustained in England camp. He came in and he used footwork, he used agility to get past some of those bigger sale defenders. Now, when you think about Andre Ostrakov, almost the Russian giant in their second row, he's a big, strong boy, sort of similar to, to John O'Ross and Josh Strauss. They're not the most mobile of guys. And what I really liked was a lot of that Falcons pack and the back line were very intelligent when it came to um, finding mismatches and the thing is that it's that kind of intelligence that I think is most admirable of them, of Dave Walder and Abdeen Richards, um, because they've proven that they don't have to have these heavy hitters in in the pack. They can go about go about things their own way. Now, when you take it to the next level and you compete with an Exeter or a Saracens who've got a lot more experience in finals within their current squads, that's a different matter. But yeah, actually, I think I'll, I'll definitely. I retract my statement on only seeing Wasps and, Le- and Leicester in that third and fourth spot. Falcons have got a lot of uh, a lot of potential to to bump one of those one of those two teams out of it. Yeah, definitely. I think I think like you said. I mean, I think a lot of the big sides just got the, a lot just got the talent and the players. But I think Newcastle similarly similarly to how Exeter have done it, they they brought in players when they're relatively unknown, whether it be from overseas or from youth camps, and they. They use their tactics and really go the smaller detail to try and finesse out the win. Mm, yeah, small details I think is the big is the biggest thing there. It's um, it, it's it's just it's just nice to see see how they're going about things. It's just again it, it it's it's that that entertainment as a neutral of seeing an Exeter or Newcastle go through the ranks. And I wonder um I wonder whether in two years time they're going to be in the same place as Exeter, or whether if some of their more mercenary type signings begin to leave for for perhaps larger larger pay packets whether they can sustain it i mean as, as far as i understand they've got a lot of a lot of promising youth coming through their their system but you look at the likes of a uh, josh Mat- matavesi maxima mars susino sonotti gonover um Takalua. if these guys leave and you are relying on the on the academy or the 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 you know players just just out of the academy it's whether they can step in and do quite quite as effective a job i mean it's it's big shoes to fill especially with um 
Sashino and um and Sonotti, it's very hard to find anyone that can stand up to their legacy. Yes. Is you know, it's a big step up for a lot of the lads, but I mean, as we've seen with several names throughout the Premiership, there's a very capable group of players waiting to come through, and I think given the chance, I think they can very much do an exit and go up through the ranks, make themselves a name, and then become a starting starting player adequately. So I think building the depth is so key right now, especially with you know, as we see the European champions. And Saracens and that resting players, the European competitions, the bigger teams. If you can rest these players and still put out a really strong 20 man squad, 23 man squad every week, then you're in a good place. And I think Newcastle are heading towards that place where they can really put out a strong squad regardless of the upcoming weeks. Mm, yeah, it, 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 they have they've got a lot a lot wider squad depth than they, than they did previously. It's when you look at the young players like Adam Radawan coming through, and uh, obviously. They had to let go of DTH Van der Merwe because he, he couldn't he couldn't get a start. So hopefully hopefully this is sustainable and we see them at, uh, near or in the, t- the top of the table f- for a while because I think it's it's healthy to have a, a strong Northern club in the Premiership and it's it, it's been quite a while since we've had that. Yeah, definitely. I think the St James's Park tie showed there's an appetite for it up there. I just just hope it is going to be a an area of viability about it. You don't want them now going out there and spending the money that they can't afford. I mean, we all know teams like Saracens and Wasps have got a stupid amount of money at their disposal. Teams like Newcastle haven't quite got that sort of level, so they're going to have to use it now a bit and try and eke out these names from the academy or perhaps non-English qualified. Hmm. Yeah, well, um, we'll we'll see how they get on in the next few years, but um, things are looking bright at the moment for Falcons fans, to say the least. Um, so we'll move on to the next northern side, who who uh, who went down to to Newcastle on Friday. So Sale Sharks, um, they came off the back of a really impressive win the previous week. I think it was against Wasps, and uh, the likes of Johnny Ross stood up really well. They uh, they really dominated that game line. They're getting their offloads away, and they they had a really convincing victory. Now against Newcastle, they couldn't impose the same physicality. Whether they were just off their game or whether it was purely down to Falcons neutralising them. Sale, they're they're in within arm's reach of a, of a playoff spot, but it's 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 looking unlikely they'll have to settle for just European rugby, which will be no depressing note to say the least. Um, but it's I'm I'm just wondering whether this sale side have they got enough genuine sort of, what's the word I'm looking for genuine proven match winners to go on and be a consistent top four side. They've got some great, they've got some great stars. And I think in their back line that was ravaged through injuries and bans, they did tremendously, tremendously well in, in the recent weeks. But um, I'm just not, I'm not convinced that at the moment, that's a side I look at and say, yeah, that, that that's a title winning side. I, I, don't, I don't look at, I don't look at that, that starting 15 and, or even the 23 and think, yeah, that, that those are trophy winners. Yeah. If anything, sale, without calling them a week, I think are probably the side that you're going to say are going to miss out in the top six and are probably the final runners in the top four chase. Like I said, there's not a huge amount of stardom amongst the squad at the moment. I think that's something that they're going to have to work on if they want to be consistently at the top of the premiership for a number of years to come. Like I said, they got some dangerous weapons in there in terms of tactics. Like I said, they got a big set of forwards there. And 
that that always gave out of heap of trouble in terms of the Premiership. It's just whether they got enough behind and, and enough flair there to try and try and overdo some of these top sides. The, the sides of Esther Wasps, Gloucester, that they're going to have to overturn, try and squeeze into that top four over a number of weeks, months. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it does feel like it's going to take a little while for them, for them to be able to be consistent top four contenders. Um, I mean, they have got they have got some brilliant academy talent coming through, and we saw Luke James. I think he's only nineteen years old, starting at twelve this week. Uh, this week gone, and he was he was really impressive along alongside his brother. He's looking like the real deal. He's physical. He's a ball player. I think he has played at ten in the past. Um, and then also you've got the youngster. I think the eighteen year old Cameron Redpath on on the bench, who can, can play you know multiple different uh, op, uh, com, uh, positions. Um, so, so they have they they have plenty of talent coming through now. Their issue in the past has been holding on to their talent. I mean, one very well trodden path is from sell sharks to wasps, and Steve Diamond's going to have to really make sure he can actually hold on to this talent now. Because you look at the likes of Tommy Taylor and Rob Miller in the past who've left, they've got some seriously high quality players that they just couldn't keep hold of, and it made their title and or even just top four ambitions just that much harder to reach. Um, now, obviously, there's been an injection of cash since they left through a Simon Orange and a other. I can't remember his name at the moment. So they've definitely got the money now to hold on to them. And they are becoming a little bit more of a household name than perhaps used to be. We're seeing more more players being selected for England. So they're a little bit less of the outcasts. There was a time where Steve Diamond would moan about, oh, nobody pays attention to Sale. No, you know, if, if you play for Sale, England don't pay attention to you. That does seem to be... Not, not, not that it was a myth before, but it's definitely it doesn't ring true at the moment. And um, I think now with that cash and with that recognition in the public eye, I feel like they have the opportunity to build and maybe compete with the likes of Leicester regularly. But they've got a way to go yet, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether the other teams that are improving are just uh, you know equal rates. I'm not sure whether they're going to be able to outstrip them. Like like we talked about Newcastle before, we talked about. Harlequins and Gloucester as, as they'll be improving. At the moment, it feels like it's been a little bit of a poor season at the moment for quite a lot of English sides, but there's lots of sides on the way up. And it, there's so many teams you look at and you say, oh yeah, in a couple of years' time, they're going to be top four contenders. There's only so, only, only so many top four contenders you can have. But the good thing is, I think, I think the promising thing is there's a lot of youth coming through and we just have to go through a bit of a, I'd say it's a little bit of a poor patch at the moment for a lot of the... Uh, or say anywhere between third and eighth of the table at the moment seems seems to be very average at the moment as as opposed to be anywhere near um, the best they were even two years ago. Yeah, I think, I think for sales, like you said, they've got the money there now, they're starting to develop into a household name. If they can keep that going, trying, obviously they have to utilise the money carefully, but if you can bring in enough players, whether it be with big bucks or academy, become that consistent top six size over a, num- over a number of years, all of a sudden you become a household name. You force people to talk about sale sharks and you can force whoever's the England coaches looking down the line to, to look at players playing for sale. I think if you want to be able to contend genuinely with some of these sides, I think you're going to have to invest more in the squad than what they are at the moment. But if you're looking at it, they're on a steady platform. They're not on a downward spiral, which I think for Bath and Harlequins more more so is is the key issue. I think if if they can end the season 
top six maybe say even if they finish in seventh I think that's not a bad position to, to build from on the next year mm, yeah definitely so that's that, that sale you're still talking about there or was it Bath yeah yeah that sale yeah yeah definitely I think yeah like you say I think anywhere in between that sort of sixth and upwards would be good for them just because there is so much competition in in in, in that um you know fr- from there between to uh, all the way up to second place um but if, if they are going to do that, they're going to need to make sure they're more clinical than they were on, on Friday. There was there was lots of errors made there, I think more specifically in the back line. And that probably is down to there being so many third string players because of all those injuries and bans. But um, aside from that, they just need to make sure they can get their away form as strong as their home form. Because the AJ Bell has genuinely become a bit of a fortress now. It's not easy to take a win away from there. Okay, um, so we'll move on to the next game. So the first game of the Saturday, we had um, so the Midlands derby, Leicester versus Northampton. Do you? I suppose you might. I keep, I keep asking you. I know you you Welsh, and your 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 priority is going to be the Welsh side. Uh, how much uh, Premiership did you manage to watch this week? Was uh, was that a game you managed to catch? It was a game I kept up the date with. Obviously, I was at the King's Zone for the tie win. This was largely going on, but keeping one eye on it, especially mm. with context of where Gloucester were and it's, it's an interesting one I I haven't really seen much of this game but I was rather surprised I mean Saints haven't shown a great deal of promise in thorough patches for a number of months and I'm talking about a, turn, a Tiger side that I believe were currently fourth at the time or third it was quite a shock really to, to come out with a back into the press room and think that they'd just been overturned by Northampton Saints. Yeah, especially with Northampton coming off that, off the back of that serious beatdown by Saracens, 60-plus points, and they go and they make, they get their first win in 11 years at Welford Road. That's That was, you know, I think if you're, if you're a bookie, you probably wouldn't have been expecting expecting that result. A few people made a few quid off that. But um, it felt a little bit like it was more Leicester throwing the game than Saints winning to me. I mean, you, you look at someone as good as Matt Samua... And all of a sudden, he's throwing three-on-one certain try-scoring opportunities. He's throwing that ball away, and it's going to floor, and the scoring chance has gone. Something just happened at Tigers. I don't know whether they got flustered because of because of you know it's their local rivals, and they got too emotional over it. I don't know whether they were they were riding riding the wave of um, a victory the previous week at Twickenham too hard, but um, it was really surprising. I was genuinely expecting a 15-point win there for Tigers, and they go down six points to the fiercest rivals, as I said, for the first time in over a decade. But, um, I, I think one thing, in in relevance to Saints, things are looking up. Obviously, there is definite potential there. They, they've got plenty of players. They've got a game plan that can work when it's implemented and when they can get they can get it together. And while they might have been, you know, they might be very thankful and a bit grateful that they come up against a Leicester side that was seemingly out of sorts. You know, the potential is there. What, what have you thought of... Um, we'll go on Saints first and then on to Tigers. What have you thought of Saints' season so far and the hole they've been in at times? I think I think the Saints have been one of those teams where they had, they've had spells and they've looked like, like a genuine top half of the table team. But then they go on silly patches. I mean, I think it's something like 237 points they've conceded the Saracens this season, which, when you look at it, is just bizarre. I mean, I know Saracens are one of the better sides, but it just gives you an idea of how up and down Saints have been this year. I mean, for the first win at Welford Road in over a decade, and it's 
quite remarkable when you think about the quality and the players and coaching staff they've had there. I think it's just it's, it's one of those things that they've got the whole coaching issue that's been resolved and obviously people, players like George North will be leaving at the end of the season. I think there's going to be a summer of rebuilds and I think they'll look to climb the table quite quickly next year. Mm, yeah, it, it does feel like everything's going to be geared up towards next season, especially with Chris Boyd arriving from the Hurricanes. That is that is one hell of a signing, isn't it? What do you um what, what do you reckon there? Do you reckon Chris Boyd's going to be able to transfer what he's had at the Hurricanes to Saints, or do you reckon it's going to be a little bit underwhelming? I, I think in many ways, when it, when these Southern Southern Asia Super Rugby coaches come in, I think it comes down to how much leniency the board can give them on. on things like player transfers and stuff like that because I think I think you have to have a set of players where you can develop your own style with I think that's the key thing for a lot of these like Robertson and like Boyd had come up with I think if if you can get a squad together that like playing the style of rugby that Super Rugby do I think Saints would match that I mean they've got a big pack there they've got a, a hard working pack I think if you can build something behind it and bring a bit more tempo I think I think I think that's what they've missed a lot this year is the tempo and the consistency to play at the a decent level week in, week out and not go one week defeating Leicester following a 60-point drubbing at the hands of Saracens. Mm. Yeah, it really has been. It's been a, quite a few teams that have had a really roller coaster, roller coaster form this season. And Saints definitely have, have been one of those sides. I mean, like you said, at the start of the season, they, they considered the first of four 50-point losses to, to Saracens on the opening day. And in the next few weeks, they went ahead and beat what was at the time a very um, well-informed bar side and various other sides. And it's um, it really is so up and down. Like you say, it is that consistency. They've got the quality players there. And it just depends whether, whether Boyd can implement his own, his own game plan. Now, what's interesting is he has got quite a few players in there that have already proven they can play at Super Rugby. They've got, you've got Cobus Ryan Ox at the uh, Springbok at nine, Rob Horn, the Wallaby at 13, and Pierce Francis at, at 12 or 10, ideally 12, and I'm not sure he's a fly half myself. Um, and you've got the players like uh, Tom Collins, who's coming through the ranks, who is unbelievable and really should be getting more game time. You've got um, Harry Mallander at 15 or 12 or wherever you want him, and he's he's proven to be a seriously, seriously um, big prospect. And uh, he, I'm sure he can he can fill almost that that Geordie Barrett role um, for Saints. Um, well, as well as anyone can imitate Geordie Barrett anyway. But um, for me, I'm really hoping there isn't too much an overhaul of the playing staff. I think they've got plenty of names there. There were maybe a handful of players that you you could understand letting go, but I'm hoping it doesn't suddenly turn into a side that's um, too reliant on overseas signings because um, it's just not reliable if you're relying on that because they, they don't tend to stay as long it's not sustainable they're more likely to be poached because obviously it's not it's not their academy their side they came through as an academy player um so maybe a sprinkling of new signings yes but i'm really hoping it's minimal because there is so much promise in that squad yeah i think i think that's the key is finding the balance between bringing in a little sprinkle of of talent a fresh talent to replace the outgoing names and just perhaps to refresh the squad and give Boyd some more of what he wants to implement and then mixing that with the timers that we've got there, as well as perhaps the academy, if, if there's someone that he thinks that deserves and earns the call. Mm, yeah, and it seems there's a lot of promise in, in that academy as it is, so he should have he should have plenty to to, to work with. Uh, so, so moving on to 
to the, to the defeated side this week, the home side, Leicester. Again, we've touched on it. It was quite surprising to see this result considering the form Leicester were in and the form Saints are in. Mark Bakewell had signed from Bristol, uh, the forwards coach, and he'd been doing some wonderful things with Tigers. But there was a complete 180 from that Tigers pack this week at Bath. They were mean, they were organised, they were dominating. I don't know what happened this week, but they really were not that. And when you consider how well they usually play at Welford Road, it's, um, it's incredible to see such a turnaround in performance. Um, I think the the arrival of a few of their new signings in the pack are going to help um, rectifying these kind of these kind of slumps. Obviously, they've got um, Guy Thompson coming from Wasps. Um, Will uh, Spencer uh, couldn't remember his name. Will Spencer from what from Warriors, a really physical, very quite blunt second row. And uh, off the top of my head, oh yeah, David Denton as well from Warriors, who was looking particularly impressive um, yesterday. They've, they've got plenty of names coming in, plenty of proven talent coming into the pack. But really, they've got to get their mentality, their mentality back to the Tigers of old, to that this is Welford Road. We do not, we do not step back, because it didn't seem like that mentality was there, was there, there yesterday at all. And I think obviously. I mean, I know you didn't see the game, but even just the result and following the scoreline, I'm sure that was probably evident for you. Yeah, I mean, I think most of us in the press room talking around was was expecting a, a Leicester win, if not the bonus point as well. So I think coming out of the match thinking that Gloucester had just gained points on a on a Tiger side that shouldn't be they shouldn't be losing at Welford Road. I mean, that is a fortress. The noise that they can generate inside there when it's not even full, never alone when it is full. I mean, they, they said they've got so many good players in there. Like I said, they've got like, players like Tamua and, uh, and if he's making simple errors, I think, I think again, going back to the earlier comments, it, it can come down to a mindset error rather than something that's physically missing or going wrong. Yeah, and it is, again, we come back to that mindset point again. That, that seems to be plaguing a lot of English sides at the moment. It, it, it's a worry, wondering whether that is a you know is that an underlying issue across the board in, in within English rugby, because um you could definitely say a few of England's problems in the um you know the national team a lot of their problems have been down to mentality over over the last decade so maybe yeah maybe that's maybe that's something that really needs to be addressed somehow and if, if it does that is a big task to try, to try and fix and we'll um we'll, so we'll move on then we'll, uh, that's all the the uh, coverage to do of that game. So the next one will go. Um, we've already been over uh, Gloucester Harlequins, went a bit off track there at the beginning. But Wasps Worcester. Now um, I just managed to watch this one back today, and uh, obviously Wasps thirty, Worcester fifteen. Um, Worcester really weren't at the races at all, at, at all today. Um, they had the likes of, I mean, Will Spencer, Nick Shonet, and Jack, Jack uh, Jackson Willison were all pretty impressive. They were they were getting going, but. They, they couldn't really get a foothold in this game and I think they were quite they were lucky to get 15 points past Wasps, Wasps at the end who seemed they seemed to switch off once they got to 30 points and f- for quite a while that was um that was 30 points to 3 up until the 68th minute I think 30-15 is a bit flattering with the Warriors it's a real shame because at one point they were really building up some steam and they even took down Sandy Park at home in a, a you know a very low scoring affair but um yeah, I mean, this is another side ravaged by injuries. They were they were missing uh, who were they missing? So they were missing Donica Callahan, Francois Hugard, uh, Ryan Mills, and they're also looking 
the oh name's gone from my head Australian Johnny Lance um, they're, look, they're looking to get him back um, next season when he, when he goes from I think he's Reds at the moment if going back but they are not they are not looking anywhere near convincing once you take away some some of their uh, some of their key names and, and, and not just as much as a lot of teams do when you take away the key names when there's still there's still a bit of the fight there's still a bit of fight left in them they seem devoid of any real competitive chance when you take away these names um, do you um, do you think Worcester really have any chance of of going one better next season after some of the results recently they certainly show promise like you said the Sandy Park games and some of that they got some names I just don't think there's enough depth there to challenge the top half of the table some of these top sides can take out six, seven, eight names and still replace them with top class quality players I mean I think most of the recent time Duncan Weir I think it was mm, and he's yeah. coming down and I mean that'll certainly help him out he's been playing pretty good stuff this season but I just feel that obviously they've got their own off-field worries but I think they've got to they got to invest in the squad whether it be through academy and try and make this a sustainable project looking forward I don't know whether the off-field financial implosion is is causing this lack of of heavy investment and stuff like that but they, they've they've been in the premiership over the last few years and you just think they're just doing enough to stay in the premiership they're not contending in any shape or form they surviving more than anything mm. yeah surviving is definitely the word then in fairness i think you, you we could have said the same things about newcastle falcons a while ago they very much were finishing in the 11th or 10th place every single year and um now obviously they've, they've all of a sudden exploded at the table um obviously they've got they've got a lot of new coaching staff coming in next season and they've got a good few new signing coming in as well so We'll see how that goes. If that gels well enough, you never know. We could be looking at another Newcastle Falcons or potentially, you never know, Exeter Chiefs if, uh, if everything goes very well. But um, that does seem unlikely given, given as you say, the lack of depth of, of serious quality in, in that side. The, they'll be cushioned by, obviously, the fact that London Irish going down this season and um, Bristol, they, they haven't done very well in the past when they've come up to the Premiership or even when they tried to get into the Premiership. So they might have a, yet another season of a cushion knowing that they're not going down because of the, the bottom side really has been that poor. But yeah, let's see how that develops with the next few seasons. But at the, at the moment, fr- from the last couple of weeks, I'm not holding a huge amount of promise on with, with uh, Worcester at the moment. Now, uh, we move on to the home side, the, uh, again, the, the winning side in, in that game. So Wasps, um, now... Willie LaRue and Juan de Jong in particular, two Springboks in that back line were on fire. It was They were really putting out the bag. When they first signed, I really wasn't very impressed. Neither, neither of them were, were in a particularly rich vein of form and they were making a lot, plenty of errors um, despite being such big names coming in. They've really settled in now and they're both now looking down the barrel of a call-up to this, you know, to the uh, to the spring box this summer so things have gone really well for them at Wasps almost a similar way that it did for, for Kirtley Beal and he'll see now one of the starting Wallabies um, I'm not sure whether whether what, what I've seen from them convinces me they're going to be able to get anywhere near a final this year it feels like they've regressed perhaps but on their day they have got the chance to turn anyone around when you look at sort of Dan Robson Cipriani and Goppa running the show have you um I mean, have your have your thoughts mirrored mine throughout the season on Wasps, or do you reckon they're gonna 
they're going to go ahead and they're going to have a shock result. Well, not necessarily in a shock result. Do you reckon they're going to go ahead and turn over either Exeter or Saracens in the uh, semi-finals? They certainly got a squad and the capability to, to turn one of the big two over, if you want to call them the big two. I mean, they haven't been a huge month behind those two when it comes to results this year, but just the old slip-up against sides that you, you wouldn't expect them to lose lose against throughout the season, perhaps have just gifted Saracens and the Chiefs that little bit of a cushion. I think if they can iron out those those not-so-minor errors, perhaps in some ways, but the little things throughout the game, I think then they'll definitely be up there with Saracens and Chiefs in terms of contending for the title at the end of the playoffs. Mm, yeah, I mean, obviously... You know, any it's a uh, it's anyone's anyone's game when it comes to the playoffs. We've seen we've seen strange things happen before. I mean, but it's I'm not sure whether they've got that the kind of the grittiness that Exeter and Saracens can have at times. It feels like they've actually got less less of an opportunity to compete this year than they did last year, despite having that experience of being in such a close final. It, it does feel like they've gone backwards, and I think uh, the loss of Curtly Beal has definitely been a big part of that. But I think obviously having such such huge injury issues throughout the year as well was, was significant. Matt Mullen and Tommy Taylor were some of their absolute stars and less less so of a star in Matt Mullen, but um, two players that were so core to everything they did. So, um, I mean, it's tough to say. I'm, I'm, not convinc- I'm not convinced personally they're going to go on and they're going to get to the final considering the kind of form that Exeter and Saracens are in, but I think as lots of people have told me, um, you know, don't rule them out yet. They've got they've got that stardust that on their day they can turn pretty much anyone around. When you, you know you've got the likes of Larue, Wade, Elliot Daly, Gopeth, Cipriani, Robson, you know, just flip, flip a coin and if they can get if they can get things going on the day, they can put fifty or forty past some of the some some good sides. So um, last couple of games were were today uh, Sunday, we had Saracens and Bath, London Irish and Exeter. Obviously, I'll just briefly do an overview of Extra London Irish because um, I don't think either of us have managed to watch that one. And there's, a, there's not really much to say about that one. Top versus bottom, 45 points to five for Exeter. Um, kind of an expected win. Uh, Sam Simmons gets a hat-trick and he's now at the top of the table for try scored this season. He's a hell of a dynamo and I'm still convinced he's a centre. I don't think he's a back row. Uh, I won't go into that one again. Um, it's looking like... It doesn't look like anyone's really going to knock Exeter off the top of that... Uh, off form, really. Obviously, Saracens aren't going to catch them up at the top of the table now with two games to go. Um, do you? Uh, what have you thought to Exeter this season? Do you, do you think they're the real deal? Um, obviously, they haven't been able to compete in Europe, but they've been dominating in the Premiership. Where do you think they stand in the bigger picture? No, thinking not just about Premiership this time, but you know, within Europe, do you think they're going to be big hitters, or do you think they're restricted to Premiership success only? Um, I think it comes down to whether they can prioritise both going forward. Forwards. I know that sounds silly with a team that's standing eight points clear at the top of the English Premiership, but I think when you look at the depth they got, it, it works well in terms of Premiership games, but perhaps when it comes to resting players, I think we've all seen it this year in terms of what the Irish have done. I think Exeter and Saracens and that have struggled with that sort of squad rotation, perhaps. But I think I think they're going to be they're, they're going to be one of the top two sides in the Premiership for the next, well, for the foreseeable future, at least. I think I think is whether they can balance resting players at key times in the Premiership will determine whether they compete in Europe. 
Mm, yeah, I think I think that resting. It's interesting because I'm not sure they've had too much of an issue with resting players. Because along with Saracens, and actually I think above the Saracens, they have ridiculous squad depth. They do have players that their second choice and in some some occasions their third choice players are just as good in the Premiership. Um, they have got incredible squad depth. What what I questioned about Chiefs is what they've got the champions mindset. In, in the way that they can go ahead in the premiership and they can do what they what they do best and without fail they'll almost you know 99% of the time they'll deliver but in Europe they seem like a different animal they don't seem like they've got that confidence and I think it's quite a young side in in many many positions and I wonder whether there is a little a lack of um uh, lack of maturity almost sounds like an insult but it's 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 lack of that experience um at the top of the table I mean Gareth Steenson is obviously a very experienced player within Chiefs but he's never really been at the top of top of the game anywhere else as far as extra Chiefs experience goes he has as much as them he's not bringing in something extra and that's why I think the signing of Nick White has been the you know the biggest influence because he's played for the Wallabies he's he's gone and done some wonderful things in super rugby um at times but um yeah I, I question whether they've got the champions mindset like Saracens do they've definitely got the premiership mindset they can go ahead and I think they've overtaken Saracens as the top English side with the best setup by by a fair way but yeah I'm, I'm not I'm not sure they're they're destined to be European champions until they can they can develop uh, their mindset and mature a little bit over the next few years yeah I think you definitely got to you've got to get like, to grips with what it takes to win big games at crucial times I think Saracens have shown that in Europe more than any other English side at least I think the, the more these excellent players get to the, the, the playoffs in the Premiership get that final against Saracens Wasps whoever they may be and for the English based players playing at the top of the Six Nations when England start to finally turn it back around which they, which they ultimately will do and really contend against Ireland at the moment for the Grand Slam stuff like that. I think playing these big winning games and playing well could be one of the bigger factors in it mm, yeah well um, we'll see how they go with these next couple of years with, with their premiership uh, playoffs which they're pretty much as you say pretty much guaranteed to be in for the foreseeable future and we'll see how, how they get on in Europe but um, to say the least in, in, in premiership turns anyway they're looking like they are they're odds on to be the be the champions this year um, unless Saracens can can, can steamroll and uh, get their top players back into form so um, going going back to, uh, to to Saracens then so did you um, I keep asking whether you've seen these games <laughs> then it turns out you haven't I suppose you managed to watch the Saracens Bath game were you tied up in your, your Celtic Celtic rugby this weekend yeah the Saracens Bath was actually one of the games they managed to catch most of and I think I think watching Bath, I mean, it was too many errors. The tackling just seemed poor to me. I mean, Good made some big breaks late on. I mean, Williams was making meters. I think I think it was Paul Williams tweeted they've made six hundred meters or over six hundred meters at the hour mark, which which is remarkable for any of the sides to do it eighty minutes really. So I mean that gives you the sort of impression of that not that the Bath players don't care because I don't think it's fair to say that any professional athlete doesn't care about their sport or their club, but the mentality just seemed to drop away. They were really top four contenders at the start of the season, really looking good, and they've just fallen away massively throughout the, just before Christmas and coming through it. 
from yeah. the spring. And it, it, it's that word again, isn't it? Mentality that keeps popping up. It's it, it's a concern the number of English sides that have got that for me. But um, as you say, that the number of errors they had today was awful. Now I thought I thought they were very similar to Harlequin's performance this week in the way that they, they had plenty of opportunity to create, but they just kept throwing it away with all these errors and penalties. And Reese Priestland, a man you'll know very well. Um, he gifted two of Saracen's tries. It was one aimless kick that ended up with, a, I think, Wigglesworth crossing in the corner. And then one no-look pass that was so telegraphed, even Owen Farrell managed to pick a line and run in about 60, 60 70 metres. Uh, Priest in the beginning of the season, I would have said it was he and um, Marcus Smith in, cont- in contended for the best fly-offs in the Premiership form-wise. But he has he's dropped off the map since his hamstring injury. He's really he's really struggled. He, he's making errors that he wasn't, um, and that is a real shame. But obviously, obviously that is also symptomatic of, of of rushing it, of pushing it, as you said, Quinns were and Gloucester were uh, earlier on. Um, perhaps if he if if his side weren't in quite such a rough patch, maybe he wouldn't be making these mistakes. And uh, perhaps again that word mentality pops up. But um, it, that is a word a lot of Bath fans have mentioned. They've, they've wondered whether their side are, uh, are in the right mental place, whether Blackadder is capable of getting them in the right mental place. I mean, there is a huge number of, of fans calling for his head now and saying it's time for him to go after two seasons in charge. Where do, where do you stand on that? Do, do you think Blackadder, it, it's time to go, didn't do the job, two years? That's it, done. That's how, that's the way the game is these days. Or do you think they need to stay with him and um, and uh, and yeah, just trust in it? I I definitely think they got to see it up at the end of the season. I don't I don't I don't see the point in sacking a a coach at this stage of the season with two two games left to go. I think if they're gonna keep him going for next season, it's gonna have to be an internal review into why there was such a collapse this year on the pitch. Whether whether it was a case of any players upset in the the fall, or whether Black had just lost the dressing room, and then what comes up with that of an internal view, taking aside themselves, I suppose. But it's, they definitely need to look at something. I'd probably be in favour at the moment of of releasing him over the summer, but again, it comes down to who's really available and, and the, the names that we've already mentioned earlier for the John Kingston Harlequins. Role, I think. I think it's a sort of similar names uh, are popping around, but none are really looking at that star position. You think, yeah, that's the man that would really fit into Bath. Mm. Yeah, definitely, it's tough. In a way, when you when we mentioned Jim Mallander's name uh, for Harlequins, I think, yeah, brilliant. For some reason, you say the same thing for Bath, and it doesn't inspire me whatsoever. Jim Mallander at Bath. I mean, I'm sure he could do he could do very well, but it doesn't seem to match up as well as it did with Harlequins. I think I think what's bearing in mind with Blackadder is obviously he came in as a director of rugby and he had his head coach Tabai Matson in. Obviously he left for some sort of personal reasons. Now I don't actually know what those reasons were. I think it was referred to as family uh, family things. Obviously you might be able to elaborate more. Um, but um, yeah, I think that's been the the biggest problem when they had that almost a lot of, been a lot of talk of them working a little bit good cop bad cop and. Uh, it has a lot of talk about how Blackadder is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. But um, it seems like since he lost Matson from that side, the, the coaching hasn't been enough to get Bath over the line. 
and you wonder whether if they can somehow tempt a similar figure to Maxon, Maxon to come in under Blackadder, would that solve things? Or has this poor period meant the players have lost, as you say, has has the dressing room been, been lost? Do, do, do you think that a, a new head coach underneath Blackadder could fix this, or do you think it's too far gone? Well, you're talking about perhaps a second choice. There's not too many choices out there. I mean, John Kingston is obviously going to come up available. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, that's two massive names all of a sudden, but whether the Kingston, if he could work in the black guy there, he seems a sort of character and coach to me that could install good values. And we listen to him in his post match, he sets minimum standards and of just effort and stuff like that. So you, you'll definitely get a squad working in the right direction, you feel, in terms of mentality, which which I think we point out, which a number of sides could be key at this stage of the season. I think if you can get, I think if you, to save back at his job, if you can bring in someone, anyone who's, who can work well with him, perhaps is not the biggest name in rugby at the moment, but if you can work well within and with Black Adder, I think that could be a key in saving his job. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I think, as you say, Kingston has had so much success as a head coach, as opposed to the director of rugby. That's where it went wrong. Now they could work very well together, but I think obviously you've got the problem with with a lot of uh, a lot of fans wouldn't like that because then you've got you've got two people who are in charge of two of the worst sides, um, not worst sides. You know, had them the most decline this season, and a lot of it has been labelled on their inability to run the side. If you've got both of them in, it is a little bit of a gamble from a fan's perspective, and obviously. Uh, the, the problem is owners lo- hate that you know w- we've seen Jim Mallander lost his job mid-season but Dorian West isn't, uh, didn't because Northampton Saints board wanted to show the fans that they were doing something because obviously they are the people that keep the club keep the club going you know obviously it's it's bums on seat it's buying merchandise it's getting the name out there um, and perhaps uh, something that could actually stop a potential effective partnership with Kingston and Blackadder could actually be the uproar it will cause of fans, which which would be a little bit. It should be a. It will be a little bit disappointing, but then a, a reasonable concern at the same time. Do you, do you think in that situation where an owner such as Bruce Craig and we all know, uh, you know, we all know Bruce Craig. Um, do you think fans should have that much of a say on who gets appointed, or do you think? irrelevant of the fans complaining someone like Craig and the board members who just appoint them and go no I back this I, I think it's always going to come down to a, a fair say I think if you've got a, a handful of individuals that are rendering a, a single rhetoric I don't think that's something that the board should be listening to if, you, if you've if you got in terms of come the size of Bath thousands of fans that will be in uproar over something like it I mean I, can, I could very well see the sort of comments over social media if Kingston was to get a job below back at it with the results of Bath and Harlequins this year. I think I think it's a difficult one. I think the board members and clubs and fans have to use their heads when it comes to making decisions. I think fans make remarks off the cuff, but if they were given more time, I think they would probably react a bit like the situation. I think that's where the board have to look at. I think it's ultimately the board's responsibility on how the club is run and how it goes from the future. I think if they if they can bring in that sort of air of confidence that yeah the fans can go we'll we'll accept whatever you bring in and we'll we'll accept that 
you you have the right vision. I think that could be the case for the board. Mm, yeah, definitely. Just 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 backing that they can do it and believing they can, despite the track record, could be huge. Um, unfortunately, it didn't look likely that the. The, the, the thousands tend to buy into that mindset overall when they're not a massive name. So, um, yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm not so sure Blackadder is going to still be here towards the end of the season, but um, it would be a shame because it feels like the only reason really they've gone downhill is because he lost his number two, came over, and that was that was the plan. Um, for, yeah, but, uh, bad time for Bath Harlequins and Saints fans at the moment. So that's 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 the weekend weekend of rugby gone. Um, I'll actually tell you what should we, we'll be to go over Saracens. I realize we didn't actually touch on them at all. Um, obviously, back to their clinical best, uh, specifically in the second half. There, there were a lot of knock-ons, a lot of lot of errors in their first half performance. I found um, that perhaps they only they only got I think it was fifteen points in the first half. I think the that's a little bit of that credit is to the Bath's defence. That, that solid that solid defensive line was effective at times, but. And that second half, we saw the, we really saw the Saracens of old come through. Um, but yeah, it's they're looking ominous towards the end of the season now. Yeah, I think I think is key to point out they found form just when they needed to. I mean, look at all round results recently and take out the Leinster game and they've looked superb, really. Not just in scoreline, but in performance I think mean, I mean today all the back line were making clean breaks were looking I mean the offloading game today was something that you see in, in rugby sevens at times literally players going down and hurling the ball backwards and it was literally just falling into the hands of the next man I mean good Liam Williams everyone Chalpritz everyone was just doing their job right whether it be hit, forwards hitting it up and carrying well which I thought they did and perhaps that was just the case of tiring out the Bath defence I mean, we all know, like you said earlier, about how many metres Saracens made and how punishing they can be at times, whether whether the early toll and the amount of defending that Bath was set out to do just tied them out and allowed in the handful of tries towards the end, just like Harlequins against Gloucester. Mm, yeah, I think the offloading is one of the biggest the biggest points I'd, I'd highlight there. I mean, it's, Saracens have come a long way from that that side that was labelled as, as boring rugby a few years ago. Now, like you say, they're putting in some brilliant offloads and some some cracking tries. I know you'll be happy with uh, with Liam Williams today, man of the match performance, looking looking back to his best after struggling perhaps in the Six Nations after returning to fitness. So, uh, happy Welsh fans across the board, I'd imagine there. Um, it's um, what, what I like about Saracens at the moment is. They've, they've come off that real rough patch and they lost so heavily to Claremont. They've, they've come away from their loss to Leinster out of the European Cup um, before the semi-finals, despite being the reigning champions. They're coming in, they're, they're putting all their focus on the Premiership. And I think what they're going to do in the next couple of rounds is remind everyone just how strong they are because Exeter really have stolen the headlines and they've take, overtaken them. And I still think they probably are the better English side in the way they're set up. But that mentality, that, that that champions mentality that Saracens have shown over and over and over again, I feel like genuinely Saracens might actually be the favourites for the title this year. Now they only have the Premiership to focus on. It's it's, it's again, it's that word that people are going to be sick of listening to, listening to us say is that mentality. But this time it's in the positive aspect. Saracens know how to win these trophies. They went from losing two finals in one season with the Premiership against Saints and the Champions Cup against Toulon. And they've learned from it big time. And I think 
I don't think you'll find many better examples in club rugby of sides who have taken such monstrous disappointment and turned it into such success. Yeah, I mean, you look at the teams that are chasing Exeter right now, and Saracens are one side that you say, if Exeter run into Saracens as, and the Saracens play like they are right now, then that'll be the crunch tie for Exeter. Saracens have that meant, I mean, obviously, won the European Cup, they won the Premiership, you know, they, they've topped the table in previous years. They've, they've held out and won and won well in these crunch ties and important games, especially when it comes to the end of the season. I think there's always that part of the season where Saracens usually have a lull, I mean, a lull in terms of what they're used to rather than a lull's what Bath and Harlequins are doing. But I think I think they find in form at the right end of the season, just like they usually do. And I think mean, I think it's going to come down to how they perform against Exeter as the who walks out the Premiership champions this year. Mm, yeah, and you you have a feeling that the the, the, the mood Saracens are in, they could end up. Yeah, they, they could, as I say, end up favourites and uh, really bring out the likes of Billy Vanapola and Farrell and even Scott Britt is on fire at the moment. They've got some serious, serious players going on there. And obviously, they had Mario Toje rested this weekend, considering the, the number of minutes he's played internationally for England and the Lions and Saracens the last few seasons. So they're looking in in, a, in fine form going in. And um, that, that eight-point deficit they've got behind Exeter might end up being absolutely meaningless. Uh, well, it will be meaningless when it, when it comes, to, comes to the playoffs. But um, we'll see how they go. But they're building very, very nicely. So I've got it right now. That is all the rugby. <laughs> so I'll quickly run through the t- uh, through the table, and then we'll move on to. Uh, we'll take a brief dis- discussion of the Champions Cup game uh, uh, semi-finals next week, uh, which you probably are likely to lead in that one. So it's, uh, it's all Celtic and French nations, no English, painful. Um, and then we'll go into the next round of Premiership the week after. So extra Chiefs are still in first place. Like I said, you've got Saracens at second, Worcester in third. Falcons have managed to hold strong in fourth. Leicester Tigers behind them in fifth. Then we've got Gloucester at sixth. Cerro Sarks at seventh. Bath are eighth. Harlequins are languishing in ninth. Northampton are on the same points as them. 36 apiece. They are in tenth position on points difference. Worcester Warriors in eleventh. And London Irish looking like they will be relegated in twelfth place. So as for Champions Cup rugby, just pull those scheduled up so we've got Leinster versus Scarlets and then Racing versus Munster we'll, we'll start with the Welsh province as a, as we have you on Rob um, what do you reckon then Leinster are looking like the form side in Europe the, the side with the most depth in the northern hemisphere but Scarlets have been absolute fire in Europe at times what do you think on this one who's who, who's going to take this one yeah I think, I think Leinster I, I said it months ago Leinster look like the side that they're going to do damage in Europe and it turns out they have knocked out Saracens in the last one. I was a couple. I, no, I said a couple of weeks ago, just after they beat Saracens, I said they look unbeatable, and obviously now they've lost to Treviso, so that's gone out the window. <laughs> but but you sort of look at it and think when they put their first side, their first choice side out, they do look unbeatable. I mean, the way that the forwards are just rumbling over anyone in the side, and the, the backs are clicking. We said about the English Premiership, but the final pass is going off. Leinster's final pass has been bang on point. Of that, the last kick, the last pass, the last tackle, if they're in defence, has just gone right. But then you look at you look at the Scarlets and they're playing the attractive rugby that's taken the imagination of I think most neutral 
rugby fans in the competition this year. And they've also shown they can tough it out against some big, some big French packs. I mean, La Rochelle, when they visited Parker Scarlets, met the met the match. And I mean, we know, we all know Big Antonio in the front row and and Danny Prizo and you know these French packs are known for being brutal and even attacking the Scarlets line. I think it was two five ten minute periods in the second half where Scarlets just looked like unstoppable in defence you couldn't break them I think that could be crucial is whether the Scarlets can stop the Leinster forwards I know as a Welshman I'm all gunning for Scarlets to win and hopefully they can go all the way but at the moment I just got a feeling that Leinster in their own backyard which let's be faced Aviva is their own backyard it's just going to be that step too far for the Scarlets yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you. It does look like that, which is a real shame because I've absolutely loved the way Scarlets have gone about their rugby sometimes. With uh, with James Davies, Cubby Boy on open side, Tyke Byrne uh, in, in, at lock, and the the famous Samson Lee at tight head, who I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of, a bit of a cult hero in, in some of the group chaps I, 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 I frequent. But um, yeah, I think you're probably right there. Leicester probably will will take that win. They've I mean, you look at some of the international start, Irish starters they've got in that side with a sprinkling of wallabies and well, nearly all blacks in the case of James Lowe. And it's not horrendously far off a Lions team. It's uh, it's, it, it's it's pretty impressive. Um, so when we want to, to the, the other semi-final, we've got Racing 92 versus Munster. Um, where, where do you stand on this one? Who's uh, who, who's taking this? The, the Parisians or the... Is it the men from where? They, is it, it's not Cork, right? Is that the right area? Yeah, yeah, that's about the right area for Munster. And I, I'm gonna have to favour Munster. I mean, I know Rass, Racing got it in in France. I think it's Bordeaux. I think he might be being played it. But but Munster, just like Leinster, the forwards are just rumbling over everybody. And I think the key, the most top 14 size is that is that strong and stable pack that gives them the platform. And I think the way that Munster have been playing, players like Omani, they've just been dominating the opposition numbers. And I think. If Racing can't control that from the off, I think Munster are going to have a lot of possession, a lot of ball. They're going to kick for corners and they're going to look for to change play up. They're not a side that just runs one game plan. I think that's something that Racing will have to look out for. But I think we all know the stars to the lineup that Racing have. I mean, they caught the final tie and the sun was just just in the behold. I mean, everything was going right from. So I think Racing are one of those sides. If, if it goes right, it goes right. But if it doesn't go right, it's going to go tragically wrong from... I don't see it going tragically wrong from, but I can just see Mansarvan enough. See, interestingly, I think I'm going to favour Racing here because it feels like Munster, as amazing as they are when they're on it and they play some fantastic rugby, as you say, it's an, it really is such a rounded game. That I mean, we saw some of the offloads. Was it was it from Gog in the centre? Um some of the stuff they can do is is fantastic, um, but I'm not I'm not convinced they've got the right mentality. We saw how they nearly lost. Um, oh no, they did lose, didn't they, against Racing in the group stages at the uh, the U Stadium. Um, I think their mentality is going to let them down again. Um, their composure, and I reckon Racing are going to are going to sneak this one with a with the likes of Lambie and and Dan Carter looking back to their best uh, for, for their club. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the thing about Racing. They got players. I mean, like Dan Carter, we all know like the drop, like the drop goal in the World Cup. He, he can create something that can that can defeat a side in his own. 
without players at Lambie and the big big pack and mobile pack as well. They they're gonna match Munster in the carrying department. Not not a lot of sides do when it comes to people like Stander running down down your throat. I think Racing are gonna give Munster a bit of their own medicine. I think it's gonna be interesting to see how Munster deal with with the travel. I think it's, it's the furthest travel in the recent Champions Cup matches. I think I think that's gonna be an interesting one to see how they cope with with all of that. Mm, yeah, definitely some heavy runners in that racing pack. Some some big boys, to say the very least, and that's very typical of French rugby at the moment, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, it is. So, um, right, so we'll quickly run through the, uh, the, the the Premiership, and then we'll, uh, we'll we'll call it a day. So, uh, the following week from the from the semi-finals in Europe, we have Leicester Tigers kicking off against Newcastle on the Friday evening. Saturday fixtures, we have Worcester playing Harlequins, Gloucester hosting Bath, and Exeter playing Sale. And on the Sunday, we have Wasps versus Saints and London Irish versus Saracens. So, a couple of mismatches there, a couple of competitive clashes. Um, we'll see how Harlequins do against Worcester, and we'll see how Bath do against Gloucester, um, and obviously Saints against Wasps. Those seem to be some particularly interesting matchups considering the form uh, a couple of those sides have been in the roller coasters they've been on so um yeah we'll look forward to that round and we will we'll preview those rounds in more depth next week on the podcast and um thanks very much for having you having you uh, for coming on rob really appreciate that you've been a uh, you know it's been great to have you on and uh, have your, your thoughts on things yeah cheers ali's been good to finally go on uh, the crash ball rugby podcast and Get my thoughts out there. Put the good week with Gloucester Harlequins as my key game. Yeah, that no, was it was it was, uh, it, it was good it was good to see you were there, and uh, I I might be joining you very soon. Hopefully, once uh once I'm back in the UK. Fingers crossed. Yeah, definitely. Um, so quickly, quickly tell us, Rob, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, when that that tends to be where you uh you do a lot of your your thoughts, isn't it? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at rrugby. I'm sure there'll be uh a link along the way with the podcast come out and you'll, you'll see me interacting with Ali along the way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Checking the link and you'll see, you'll find Rob's Twitter handle. And if not, you can search and you can find some of the interactions with myself as well. So if you're looking for Crashable Rugby on Twitter, so we're at underscore Crashable Rugby, or you can contact myself, Ali at Ali Stokes Rugby. Um, so thanks for listening, folks. Enjoy your week. And uh, yeah, look up some of the news pieces, articles and opinions coming through CrashableRugby.com. So thanks again, Rob. And uh, yeah, have a good week. Cheers, Alejandro.